Hello everyone and welcome to my very first live. I'm going to wait a little bit until I have everyone coming on here and I need to figure out how to invite Jess. <laughs> this is my very first live um, so I'm really excited about it and this live is going to be with a special guest um, and it's going to be with self-care mindset keto coach Jess. Um, I saw her Instagram uh, way back um, when I just started and she always always has like the greatest content. Um, so I'm going to invite her in here. Um, if I can do this right. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe I will just introduce her first. So Jess is a self-care keto uh, hi Jess. Hey. I'm just going to introduce you. Hi. Um, so Jess is a self-care keto coach and she is a certified life coach with the International Coaching Federation in USA. Um, she is the founder of her own coaching practice and the Keto Fit and she's passionate about helping women lose weight with a ketogenic diet and a self-care mindset by providing both concrete scientific strategies to lose weight and the mindset work that will help women change beliefs surrounding weight, food, and body image so that they can have a lifelong success with ease, peace, and joy. So Jess lives in Virginia Beach with her husband of 16 years and has a four-year-old daughter, which is kind of similar like me with my three-year-old. And when she's not coaching, she loves walking, coffee, shopping, and binge listening to podcasts, which is also very similar to me and um, we met before in a zoom call and we have a lot of common interests so i'm really excited to have you here jess um and today i would like to discuss a little bit more on mindset on ketogenic diet because i often see people they know the things that they need to eat but sometimes they struggle on the ketogenic diet and we know when we eat the right things we're going to lose weight but sometimes we struggle with our own beliefs our own mindset and that's mostly the hardest part on um, being on the ketogenic diet. So you're a self-care mindset keto coach. It's a long name. <laughs> um, and you have a background of life coaching. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so when I think of self-care, I always think of um, going to the spa or getting a massage but I don't, in the beginning, like a few years back, I didn't think about um, self-care as in mindset, as like my beliefs and my belief system. So how would you define a self-care mindset? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Evie, for having me. And I want to say hi to everybody in Evie's audience and my audience who's tuning in right now. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. And yeah, Evie, I love um, following you on Instagram as well. I love how you're so into the science and you're always posting phenomenal recipes. So again, just thank you so much for letting me be here. But you mentioned thank a self-care. Thank you. Um, you mentioned like a self-care mindset. What is a self-care mindset? Because when we think about self-care, we tend to think about like spas and massages and pedicures, you know, and all these things. There's like this you know, trending self-care Sunday where everybody's posting themselves, you know, doing these types of activities, right? Um, but self-care, really, it sounds so phenomenally simple, but it is taking care of yourself. And so at the most basic level, what you eat is a form of self-care. 
what you put into your body is literally taking care of yourself. And I know we can relate as moms, you know, my daughter is uh, about a year older than your daughter. Mine's going on five years is going on four. But when you became a mom, you know, the weight of that responsibility of like, oh my gosh, I'm responsible now to take care of another human being. And where do you start? You start with just keeping them alive, like feeding them, <laughs> making sure they go to bed, making sure that they're hydrated, keeping them com at a comfortable temperature, making sure they get fresh air, like all of these things, these um, physiological needs are really the, the um, basis of self-care. And then we kind of move up from there. So I mean, from there, we kind of um, would move up the, the ranks of like, maybe how ethereal we get in terms of our self care. Um, but the most basic form of self care is taking care of your physical body. And then you're going to move on to other things like your relationships, your career, um, achieving your full potential, what we would call self actualization. Um, but so many of us are focused on personal development, but we're neglecting the very basic physiological things such as what we eat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And how would you, because you can keto in very different ways, and how would you, if you coach your clients, how would you like um, guide them into not just eating healthy, but also pushing through their limiting beliefs, or um, if they feel like they are stuck, how would you push them forward? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing that I love to tap in with my clients is this idea of motivation versus inspiration. So motivation comes and goes. And I've heard it said, you know, motivation is pushing yourself to do something, but inspiration is feeling pulled to do something. And so it's actually so much easier to be pulled towards something than to try to push yourself into something. You're pushing this huge rock up a hill. Oh, I have to work out today. Oh, you know, I have to follow this meal plan that I set for myself or whatever. Um, so we can try to motivate ourselves and push ourselves, but that tends to fade pretty quickly. It's not always going to be there when you need it. So what you can always tap into, though, is your inspiration. What is your bigger why? Why are we even doing this in the first place? Like, is it just for hot girl summer? No, like there's got to be a deeper reason behind it. And so that source of inspiration is one of the very first things that I try to tap into with my clients. I get them to create a vision statement for themselves maybe a year, two years, five years, 10 years, whatever feels like an appropriate amount of time to think about what is the ideal vision that you have for your life. Let it play like a movie in your mind. Um, what are you doing for work? Who do you live with? Where do you live? What type of relationships are in your life? What relationships are no longer there? What do you like to wear? What do you drive? You know, like really let it be like a fun, imaginative activity because if we don't know where we're going, I mean, what are we doing? Like, we have to have an idea of where we're going. And how does this whole journey of losing weight as a form of self care even play into that? How is your weight holding you back from this ideal vision that you have for yourself in the future? And so I, that's um, to answer your question as I try to get them to tap into that source of inspiration. And once I'm familiar with it, I can remind them of it when they're losing their focus on that. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes when we go on this diet, we often have like um, one specific goal in mind, but we don't see ourselves reaching that goal or tapping into that goal. Or we just say like, yeah, I want to lose 10 kilos or like uh, 20 pounds, but you don't have a plan or you have a kind of a plan, but you don't really see yourself actually achieving it. So then as a coach, you remind them of that, that it is yeah. possible for them. And this is the plan that you have. And on the days that they are like, Hmm, today, I'm not really feeling like it. They have someone there that is saying like, 
Do you remember when you were telling me this? And it, sometimes I feel when I work with people that they need that reminder because we often have a very big goal in, in front of ourselves that is like sometimes just one month away. Uh, but sometimes we need to like push it a lot further and, and check where do I want to be in, in one year or even further like in five or 20 years. And, and yeah. I think when we don't give ourselves the time, um, which I often see like um, I, I want to go on this diet right now and then within 10 days I want to be on my goal weight, which is like yeah. totally not achievable. And people, when they go on this diet and they don't give their, their body the time to heal, they just give up and they just say it's not working. Um, and then when you have a coach, you always have someone that is there to remind you of that. Um, yeah. So another thing that I also see with people is that they're just, they don't really believe themselves being in a certain weight or in a, in a certain body. And, and I sometimes still have it when I like go shopping for my clothes. I used to be like, a, I had a size large and even Till this day when I have sometimes like an extra small or small, I still sometimes go to the to the racks where they have like large clothes because that is still like in my subconscious from yes. when I was so overweight or not, not so overweight, but I had excessive weight and it was in my mind like I, 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 I'm this big person and even after I've lost all this weight, I still feel like this big person. Yeah. Did you also have that because I know you have lost how many, how much weight? I lost 50 pounds on keto. Yeah. yeah. It took me probably about a year and a half to lose it. Um, I was always at um, a healthy weight for most of my adult life and even um, as a teenager. But my whole life, I saw myself as overweight because I was an overweight kid. And so the way that I was brought up, my mom, well-meaning in the 1980s, was trying to help me to lose weight. She put me on a low-fat diet, taught me how to count calories when I was like 12 years old. And so I always saw myself through the lens of I'm fat, I'm overweight, I have a broken metabolism or whatever it might be, even though, um, and I, so many of my clients will uh, resonate with this idea, but like, you'll look back at a picture of yourself 10 years ago, and you'll be like, what the heck was my problem? I was cute, you know, like, but and that when I was a teenager, I saw myself as huge, you know, like very problematic, even though I was at a healthy weight for my BMI. Um, but all that to say, um, I was always at a healthy weight for most of my adult life, even though I didn't think that I was. I was always trying to lose more weight or get to a smaller size. I did go through a period in my life um, of about three years where I packed on about 50 pounds after going through a season of like trauma and depression after that. And um, so for about three years, I weighed about 50 pounds more than what I weigh today. And that was a very challenging time in my life, but I'm really, really grateful for it because um, it allows me to really connect and resonate with my clients, this feeling of hiding. Um, you, when you look um, in a mirror, you're like, what am, who am I looking at here? Like you feel like an alien in your own body and you want to just hide out. You want to just stay in your house. You want to turn down the invitations. You don't have anything to wear. You don't want to be in pictures. You don't want to go put on a bathing suit. And literally you're like turning down opportunities in your life. At work, you don't want to do the pitch. You don't want to be in front of people. You don't want people looking at you. You don't want to turn your camera on Zoom or whatever it might be. And so you're literally hiding out from your life. And I was doing this for those three years until I found keto. Um, and it was just supposed to be like a short-term fix. But when I experienced the magic of ketosis, um, 
it, I mean, it changed everything for me. I knew within two weeks that I was going to stay on it forever. But to answer your question about, you know, does it take time to see yourself differently? Absolutely. Um, you know, and we would call this body dysmorphia, where the way that you see your body is completely different than the way um, that other people would see your body or even the reality of it. Um, so many people, you know, you see that number on the scale and you think it's horrible, but so many people are dreaming of being at that weight, right? Um, and so, yes, you can definitely, you know, try to give yourself a reality check by going and looking at a BMI chart and saying like, well, hold on, am I actually within a healthy weight range according to, you know, the CDC or whoever is setting these guidelines or whatever. Um, but yeah, it did definitely took me a little bit of time, kind of like you, you know, I would still go to a store and I would be like, oh, I can't wear that. That wouldn't look good on me. And then, you know, oh, wait a minute, let me actually, you know, try it on and see. Um, but yeah, it does take time to see yourself differently. And it takes time to kind of build up that confidence again. Um, but you're not, you're never going to, um, just magically love yourself when you reach your goal weight. If you spend your entire journey of weight loss in a form of self-punishment or self-hatred or trying to earn your worth or hustle for your worth as a result of getting into that smaller body, the day that you see that number on the scale, it's not going to be like a light switch where you magically love yourself and feel confident all of a sudden. That takes time. So we can actually start that journey today. We can start that journey of self-love and self-care today um, as we're losing weight. It doesn't have to be lose the weight first and then experience self-love. And it actually doesn't have to be love myself first, accept myself entirely, you know, body positivity, yada, 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 before losing weight either. I think they really go hand in hand. Um, as you behave differently, you start to feel differently. As you feel differently, you start to behave differently. It's, a ner it's like a feedback loop. Yes, exactly. I had the same thing when I was a little bit more overweight. I saw myself a lot heavier than I actually was. It was really messing with my confidence. I, I would yeah. just not go to any events just because I thought that people saw me as a fat girl, that I didn't have any, um, like, uh, I couldn't resist eating food. Or I, I had this vision in my mind of what people thought of me just because I was so insecure about my own weight. Um, and... Even when, when, even today, I still have this. Like I, I'm at the best that I am right now. But we all have our, our flaws, and we we all need to work on that. Um, but sometimes I do use some tools. Like for me, journaling is a great way um, to to boost my confidence. Then I just write down some things that really help me with um, the things that I am grateful for for my body because. With this body, I've made another person. So sometimes we all only look at like the outside of our body, but we don't look at the function of our body. And, yeah. and that's what we're always taught. Like when I was a little girl, my mom would always have comments on my body or, or she would, we would have like conversations or don't you think that I look too fat or, or this or that, like women underneath each other. We always look at the outside, but we never look at the inside. And I think that one is in our brains since we grow up as little girls, also in the media. Um, so to transfer from that, from that having that ideal in our mind of how we should look and actually appreciating how we're looking and then going from there and just enjoying the journey of losing weight and not have like the end goal in sight for tomorrow, but like just enjoying the journey and just looking in the mirror and saying like, the body that I'm living in is a wonderful body and it does amazing things every day. And sometimes we stop realizing that and, and we're just focused on this one image. Yeah. So what are the tools that you would say that people can use or do you have some tools that people can use for body dysmorphia? 
or, yeah. or like low self-image of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I love what you're talking about with your journaling, because this is exactly the work of changing your beliefs. So what you did, the first step in changing your beliefs or changing how you see yourself, let's just say, overcoming body dysmorphia is just one example of changing your belief. You're changing the way that you see yourself. Um, so the first step is self-awareness. And so you can do this through journaling practice. You can do this with a coach. You can do this with a therapist. You can do this with a best friend that you trust. Getting this information, talking it out, whether you're writing it or having a conversation, but some self-awareness surrounding this, which is, I have this belief. I believe my body is only as good as how it looks, right? And okay, Great. Now you have self-awareness. Where did this come from? And so we want to go to where this came from because we want to develop some self-compassion around it. It's not like you just chose this belief. This belief was passed down to you. You inherited this belief from the time that you were a very young child. So now we're talking about our inner child, right? And so we yeah. can develop a little bit of self-compassion surrounding this. Like, this isn't my fault that I got this message. And so, and it's really, really sad. Would I want to give this message to my daughter? Absolutely not. No, but at the same time, I've received this message and it has literally wired my brain for my entire life and altered my behavior. For me, it was an obsession with counting calories every single day of my life from the time I was 12 years old to the time I was 26 years old. Took up so much of my brain space. I was absolutely obsessed with it, not really showing up presently for my relationships and my life because of this obsession over food, feeling like a failure every single day of my life when I would exceed counting calories, which was probably... 90% of my life, right? And so how horrible is that? I look back on that and I feel so much self-compassion for this 12-year-old girl that was taught how to do this thinking, and I feel compassion for my mom too, quite honestly, because she received it, you know, from somewhere. And so it's not about judging it, it's developing self-compassion around it. Okay, so we've got self-awareness, now we've got self-compassion. Now we're gonna analyze this thing. Like, it, let's practice some inquiry. Is this belief true? No. Absolutely. No. And even if you do think it's true, you can go a little bit further and ask yourself, wait, how do I know that it's true? Is it really true? How do I feel when it's true? How do I feel when I believe that it's true? And who would I be without this belief? So um, this is just a simple self inquiry practice that you can do to try to answer some of those questions um, and work your way through it. And so imagine what your life would be like without that belief. Like, whoa, what would my life be like if I wasn't obsessed with food all day? well, I could probably get so much crap done. Like I could probably enjoy my life so much more. Like, what would that be like? I could probably start a business. I could probably do this, that, and the other thing. And so just turning on your imagination a little bit. And so now we've um, developed a self-awareness around the belief. We've developed self-compassion about how we got here, where it came from. We've wired this into our brains. And now we're deciding this belief doesn't actually serve me. I don't want to hold on to this belief any longer. And then the final step is to attach yourself to a new belief one that does serve you, one that does empower you. And so for you, you gave that example of like, um, my body produced another person. My body serves me because of its function, not just because of its beauty. And so that's something that you practiced, an affirmation that you practice, and you can then rewire your brain. And so there's actually a part of our brain, it's called the reticular activating system. And what this is, is um, it actually is like our brain's filter. So we have so much stimuli coming into our brains all day long and we can't possibly use all of it it's like superman when he gets the super hearing and he hears all the people in the world crying and he's like ah like it's just like way too much right and so that's what the reticular activating system does for us as a survival mechanism it helps us to focus on the things that are relevant 
and to block out the things that are irrelevant. And so when it comes to our beliefs, it will block out information that disagrees with these beliefs, even though we haven't chosen these beliefs. These are subconscious beliefs. These are th our conditioning that's been passed down to us. There could be evidence out in the world that is proving that belief wrong, and your brain will just delete it, completely filter it out. This is how you explain cults and brainwashing and how you explain <laughs> politics and how you explain, you know, absolutely everything. We're just so tunnel vision about our beliefs because of our reticular activating system. But you can use it to your advantage. You can biohack this. You can rewire your brain. That is the good news. By priming your reticular activating system. So here's a very simple example. You're shopping for a new car and you decide that you want to get a blue sedan and you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see blue sedans everywhere. Are there really more blue sedans on the road? No, it's just that your brain has now deemed it relevant and it's actually showing it to you. You're paying attention to it for the very first time. Previously, you were literally deleting that information. And so when you prime your brain with a blue sedan is now relevant to me, you're going to see examples of it everywhere because now it's relevant. When you prime your brain with an affirmation, of my body serves me because of its function, or I eat foods that bless my body, or I move my body every day, or whatever, whatever it is, a, a powerful affirmation that you want to take on for yourself, your brain is now going to get to work and show you examples of that everywhere. And you're also tapping into cognitive dissonance, which is this idea of when our actions don't align with our beliefs, we experience discomfort and pain. And it's called, it's just like pain in your brain called cognitive dissonance. When you tell a lie or when you, you know, steal something or whatever, like that guilt that taps in, right? Because you've been taught that that's wrong. And now you've done something that you think is wrong. So it's the same thing with taking on a new belief. As soon as you start to criticize yourself again, when you've been practicing that affirmation, you're going to feel the cognitive dissonance and you're going to feel discomfort. It literally lights up the pain centers in your brain the same way that if you stubbed your toe, right? And so now you're putting that to work for you. And you're just going to be more self-aware and you'll catch yourself faster and you'll say, wait a second, that belief's not true. That belief's not serving me. Practice my affirmation again and again until your new belief is now cemented. So you would say that you have to practice it like over and over and over again. Not like, yeah. not like just saying one time, like, okay, I believe that I'm a, a thin person. I believe that I can lose all this weight. I believe that I can be a healthy person. Just saying it one time, it's not going to, not going to change your belief system. Right. Right, right. Absolutely. You definitely have to practice it because you've been practicing this old belief your entire life. And so that's why you definitely need to have that self-compassion of like, when did I first develop this belief? And like, that'll give you a really good reality check. Like, whoa, I got this belief when I was seven years old was the first time that my mom talked to me about being overweight, or I overheard my parents talking about how I was overweight. And that cemented into my brain. And I've been rehearsing it every single day since then until whatever age that I am today. And so, yeah, it's going to take time to rewire your brain. But at the same time, there's so much hope that you do have the ability to do it. Um, and it, it will get easier and easier over time. Those thoughts will still pop back up, but they won't be um, driving your life on autopilot like you were before. Yeah, I definitely had one of those events that is always like, I think everyone has one particular event that like puts them into dieting. Like for me, it was when I was a 12 year old kid and I just started developing breasts and I've got wider hips and there was like a, a party and at my parents' house and one older lady was like pointing out to me, wow, you're getting like a little more chubby since you're like getting older. And that was the point for me that I started dieting. I was 12 years old 
And then I saw my mom and my sister discussing diets. And then I just rolled into it, started counting calories. And from there on, you started noticing a lot more. You started noticing other bodies. You start comparing, like, how do I look like? And how does this other person look like? How do other people perceive beauty in, in society? And that's the point where you start, like, developing these these limiting beliefs about, oh, no, I'm not good enough. And, and, and I need to do something about it instead of actually saying like I am good enough and there's a difference between dieting to lose weight and dieting to to be healthy I see this like every day almost when people ask me questions on on Instagram like directly their main goal is to lose weight Um, and and then when I have clients I I also have this like I want to lose weight but then when I explain it more further it's more about the healthy part when you get healthy you're going to lose the weight and when you have a healthy mindset, it's going to be a lot easier for you to lose the weight. So we often just think of food and we, we forget about the mindset work. And, and there's also work that you need to do if you have problems with that. And it's also the key to succeeding in, in losing the excess weight for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. Because you're, you're never going to stick with something that feels like misery. No, absolutely. Why would you do that? That's awful. (laughs) That's why so many people fail and go back and and, and gain weight and lose weight because you're not motivated enough if your mindset is not in the right place. Yeah, it has to feel fun. It has to feel enjoyable. It has to feel like you're taking care of yourself, like you're doing something good for yourself rather than punishing yourself. And so it does take tapping down um, into the actual core of our beliefs in order to change our behaviors long-term. So this is something that I talk about a lot with my clients is this idea of like, we're like an onion. So we have all of these layers. The outermost layer is our results. And so the layer right below that is our behavior. And so oftentimes when it comes to weight loss, we only think about these top two layers. I will behave differently and I will get different results. And that's absolutely true. But how long can you keep up the behavior modification? Not very long. If it doesn't feel good, if it doesn't feel fun, if it doesn't feel in alignment with your beliefs. So your old belief is going to kick back in that belief of like, what's the point? You're always going to look like this. No matter what you do, your DNA is determining your destiny. You're going to look just like your mom. You're going to look like your aunt. You have a messed up metabolism. Whatever it is that is a belief that you've been holding for your entire life, that's going to kick back in when it gets hard or when you have the slightest slip up, that's going to kick back in. And then we have self-sabotage. So underneath the layer of our behavior is our thoughts and our feelings, and then the core of who we are is our beliefs. And so when we can actually change our beliefs, now it influences our thoughts and our feelings and our behaviors and our results effortlessly with alignment, natural flow and ease, as opposed to just white knuckling it, trying to go against our beliefs forever and ever. That doesn't make any sense. It's so much easier to just change (laughs) our beliefs. Yeah. Yeah. When, when we, we have a goal and, and, and you say you're very motivated in the beginning and then all of a sudden one thing sets you back or one person makes a comment and it makes you feel insecure about the diet you just give in to it and say like okay or for example when I go to some friends and when when they ask me do you want want to have uh, a beer for example I would just say no just give me some water I, I don't drink alcohol I don't say like I can't have it I just I choose not to have it that's also a yeah. big difference that I see in people um, in w- when they have they see food on a ketogenic diet. Your words have a lot of um, 
meaning in, in, in the way that you're perceiving life and on the ketogenic diet too. Like if you say, I can't have this because of, of my diet, instead of saying, I choose not to have it because it's not going to do my body really good, um, it, it, it makes a big difference. So those are, that is also something that I would really recommend people changing yeah. into, I can't have it instead of, I just choose not to have it. Yes, that's so powerful. And I work on that with my clients all the time. Whenever I hear them say, I can't, I say, you know, let's, let's change that to I choose to or I want to. Um, or even when I hear clients say I should, I have them change that language to I want to or I'm willing to. Because when you say I should eat this, well, who says? Like, who are you bowing down to in regards to your own life? Like, nobody. Like, you are in the driver's seat of your life. You can do whatever the hell you want. There's no shoulds. Like, the only should is what you want to do. So let's just kick that out because when you have a should or you have a can't, what's, what are you going to do? You're going to rebel against it. Even though you're the one that set the goal, <laughs> you're going to rebel against it. And that is just our basic human need for autonomy. We need to feel free at all times. And the second that we don't feel free, we're going to rebel against it. So it's an illusion that we're trapped. So let's just, you know, dismantle that illusion. Every single time you say, I can't or I should, I want you to change it to, I choose to, I want to. Or if you can't pull off, I want to, then try to at least say, I am willing to eat differently. I am willing to eat foods that bless my body. If you don't say, I want to, if it doesn't feel true for you, you can start with, I'm willing to. Yeah, this makes a lot of difference in, in how you're, you're going to succeed on your diet. For me, it, it was the same thing. And also when I, I changed from I can to I want, I, I, don't, I choose not to, um, it's just because I had the knowledge. I had to learn about, about the ketogenic diet. And yeah. it's not just this diet. It's, it's great to lose weight, um, but it's also great to improve your health and have a healthy, long-lasting um, weight loss result and and have more energy and most of the time it's also knowing if I eat this food what is going to happen inside my body because a lot of time we just eat food and we have no idea what's going on it's like okay yeah. we know sugar is bad for us but we don't know that when we eat it that it's going to raise our blood sugar that it's going to raise our insulin and then the insulin is going to be too high and then when it's over 130 milligrams uh, for deciliter it can like interfere with your nervous system and so a lot of us, we don't know that. And how are we going to know? Because we're not taught this in school. They, they, they don't learn you anything on mindset or a healthy diet in school. I, I just said it to my husband the other day. Like, I graduated from school and I felt like I know nothing. <laughs> like, yeah. if you want to learn something, you have to read books or, or you have to really dig deep to find the truth. And, and for that reason, it's really useful to have social media where you have people that are sharing their, their results and, and you also see a lot of other information um, but it's also really important to find out what works for you because yeah. you can do sometimes the same thing as what another person is doing um, like for me when, when it comes to my belief system for me journaling works really great or meditation works really great but then when you put this on another person, you're going to say, like, I cannot sit still for, like, 10 minutes and meditate. I cannot sit down and journal. I, I just sit there and, and nothing comes out. So it's really about finding the tools that work for you that I also found very, very powerful. What are yeah, the tools absolutely. for you that work best when, with, with your clients? Or, or do you have just the journal? So we talked about journaling. We talked about going to from I, I can't have to I choose not to have. 
Um, what are some other tools that people can apply to the mindset and the ketogenic diet or their limiting beliefs? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it really varies by um, individuals. And so what I'll try to do is just um, like ask a client, like what do they resonate with or what are they curious about in terms of trying new tools? Um, so usually I'll try to tap into curiosity first. Like, is there a tool that you've kind of been like, you know, eyeing on social media, like, you know, some, somebody that's never tried yoga, but they're following these yogis and like, oh, that would be like my fantasy version of myself or whatever. So why not try that? Um, so another thing that I work on with my clients is emotional eating, because um, food is such a powerful way to help us calm down and de-stress. And so a lot of times having a tool to replace emotional eating, like you're talking about with like, meditation, or I know that you like to do grounding, um, tapping, um, emotional freedom technique, tapping is another one that I um, suggest with my clients sometimes, um, breath work. So um, just like box breathing, breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four. Um, these uh, getting sunlight walking, these are all ways to try to regulate your nervous system. Um, because a lot of times our nervous system is so in fight or flight mode because of our chronic stress in our lives. And eating is actually a way to switch your body from the sympathetic state or fight or flight into the parasympathetic state, which is called the rest and digest state. And so we're drawn to food because our nervous system says it's time to calm down. This is too much. And so what is the way that we associate with calming down? Digesting, eating food. And so if we can learn some other substitute techniques to try to help calm down our nervous system, that can be a helpful way um, to try to transition out of always emotionally eating. But then also developing self-awareness around emotionally eating um, can be really helpful too. Like what, what was the emotion that I was feeling um, what did I really need in that moment? Because I was obviously just trying to numb out um, using food as a substitute. So what did I actually need? Do I have an unmet need in my life that maybe I need to try to fill? Um, you know, love and belonging, self-esteem, purpose, like these are the, these are the higher level needs that sometimes um, we can try to fill by going overboard on a lower level need. Um, so there's this hierarchy of needs that Abraham Maslow created. He was a humanistic psychologist. And Anybody can go um, Google this, but I did like a little printout of it. <laughs> so at the lowest level is like our physiological needs, like food, water, shelter, um, air, you know, nutrition, basically. And then we have like our safety needs about that. So we need to have safety and security. Some, and like our job falls under that. So sometimes when we're stressed out about like safety and security or money, we kind of double down on a lower level need through eating more food or we need relationship connections, love and intimacy. So sometimes when our partner and we're fighting with our partner and that relationship feels insecure, we double down on a lower level need by eating more, right? And so it's just kind of having an awareness of what is the unmet need there? Do I need to set a boundary? Do I need to basically um, be my own advocate in some way, shape or form? And so just kind of examining and really going deeper with these things as opposed to just thinking, oh, it's just a habit that I overeat every Sunday. You know, like, it's just a habit, like when I sit yeah. in front of the TV or whatever, like, okay, yeah, there's some, there is definitely some validity to those connections. But is there anything more? Let's go a little bit deeper. Yeah, sometimes it's just escaping something too. I noticed for myself when it was the other day, I was, uh, I drove my daughter, I think it was last week on Wednesday, I drove my daughter to school. And then I came home because I took the morning off. And I, I didn't have anything planned, uh, nothing. I just sat in the couch 
And I was looking around and I just, my, my subconscious just immediately went to the fridge to go and get a, a bar of chocolate. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and I was standing there with this bar of chocolate and, and like two bites later, I was like, am I eating chocolate right now? I was like, not even conscious of eating chocolate. I had yeah. keto chocolate, of course. Um, but I was just eating, eating something that I, I, I would, I actually didn't need. I wasn't hungry. And it was just, then I, then I realized I'm just eating like to numb something and, and what is going on. And then I started analyzing that, like, um, how am I feeling? Like I took two minutes instead of eating a chocolate to actually go inside myself and think like, what is going on? And, and the fact was just that I was in, this, in the house by myself and I was feeling lonely. <laughs> yeah. And what I could have done is just call a friend or, or something else. And that would have prevented me from eating something that I didn't necessarily need. So I would really, I can really find myself in what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I used to overeat every single Sunday on keto foods. This was back when I worked in my corporate job. And then one day I came across this term called the Sunday scaries. And I was like, Oh, my God, that's me. So the Sunday scaries is basically like getting super anxious the day before you have to go back to work on Monday because you don't like your job. And so you're just trying to make up for it and try to calm yourself down because you're like, Oh, you're trying to like get yourself like, pumped up and ready to go back to a week of work that is stressful, or you're not really enjoying or you don't really want to be doing and you feel stuck or whatever it might be. And so yeah, the Sunday scaries is a real thing. And as soon as I read that, I was like, that's what it is. It's the <laughs> Sunday scaries, you know, and so I'm afraid, like, it, I'm not necessarily afraid, but I'm like resentful, or I'm frustrated, or I don't really want to be doing this, you know, and so those are the things that we need to tap into, because we have way more agency in our lives than we give our give ourselves credit for. Uh, we have like this victim mentality or learned helplessness. And so many of us are just sitting around thinking, well, I'm just stuck. That's just the way that it is. You just work a job until you die or whatever it is. Like that, maybe that's a belief that's been handed down to you, but is it serving you? And so, yeah, we have so much more agency and ability to act than we give ourselves the ability than we really give ourselves credit for. Yeah, exactly. I, I had a lot of limiting beliefs in, in the environment that I grew up in. Um, just because they were passed down from generation to generation. And I really want to break that cycle with my daughter, but I still notice that every day, this is work. This is not like, um, today I'm going to start doing this, and tomorrow I'm going to be another person, and I'm going to succeed. Just like with your ketogenic diet, you need to be consistent, you need to do it every day. And as of today, people, I share a lot of, on social media on what I'm doing, um, and sometimes I don't share it, but just because I don't share it doesn't mean I'm not doing it. Um, and this is something that a lot of people think just because they see someone doing one thing once, um, they think that with doing that one time, it's going to resolve. And it's also really about consistency, not just with your diet, uh, but also with your mindset work. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's absolutely practicing it over and over again. And then another example of what you just said was kind of like going public with it is another way accountability, essentially. So you're sharing now, this is my new life. This is what I believe. This is what I do. And when you do that, it creates a lot more likelihood that you're going to remain consistent over time, because you're going to avoid cognitive dissonance. Yeah, yeah, cognitive dissonance is something that I really had and the victim mentality too. Like, um, when, when I was overeating, it was like, Oh, poor me, I cannot stick to a diet. Let me just get another ice cream just to numb the pain. <laughs> And, yeah. and, and just, or um, if no one sees it, it doesn't count. No one saw that I ate it, but your body remembers. <laughs> and we find yeah. the, these excuses for ourselves. 
um, and it's not doing us any good. And the thing that we need to do is just go and look inside ourselves and actually wonder and ask ourselves what is going on. And that's something that a lot of us don't do. And we just use food to numb the pain. Um, and even if it's keto treats or other things, um, if you overeat, you're gonna gain weight, and it's not gonna make you feel good. Or there's something you, I have people that they go on the ketogenic diet and it doesn't seem to work for them. At some point, they lose a lot of weight and then they get stuck. And a lot of the time, it's just because they they don't believe that they can go past a certain point. Um, it's because they still have those limiting beliefs of I am fat and and I. I cannot lose the weight. It's not possible for me. Or I can lose the weight, but not as far as like I can reach that goal that I set out for myself. Yes, yeah. And so I definitely went on that journey with myself, like trying. So where I got to the point where it's like keto doesn't change everything about your life, right? Keto will help you lose weight. It'll improve your mood. It'll reduce inflammation. It'll give you greater mental clarity and greater energy but it doesn't change your beliefs. You have to change your beliefs, right? And so when I started eating keto, it so much helped me in my emotional eating to change what I was eating when I was emotionally eating. Now I was eating keto food. So I was eating foods that actually had nutritional value to it. I'm eating, you know, a quart full of strawberries dunked in, you know, MCT cocoa powder, you know, syrup that I made, right? But I'm yeah. still eating food that I don't actually need that day. I'm emotionally eating. I'm using this food to numb something, right? And so was that so much better than it was before? A hundred percent. But I'm still not going to reach my weight loss goals. And I'm still going to feel kind of cruddy about myself afterwards. Like, I know I didn't need to do that. Why did I do that? And you're going to feel the cognitive dissonance and the guilt. So, but keto gave me um, the mental energy or the mental leg up that I needed to do this work. And so sometimes I like to compare it to when um, you're severely depressed or just struggling with anxiety so much that you legitimately do need a medication to help you, right? And so what does this do? This changes the chemistry of your brain to lift and give you a little bit of more, a little bit more energy to then go have the energy to do the work and therapy of getting to the root of the problem and changing your beliefs. So if you don't actually do both, you're not going to change over time. It's not actually going to resolve or get better or become free the way that you envision yourself becoming free. You need both. And so I kind of look at keto as like changing the brain chemistry, giving you the mental energy that you now, uh, that you need to actually go do the mindset work of changing your beliefs, getting to the root of the issue um, and really going down into the core of that. And so that's what I experienced. Keto didn't do that for me. I had to do the personal development work. I had to do the therapy. But that's when I got this idea of like, I want to be a keto mindset coach, or I want to be a self-care keto coach. I want to create something for other women that what I went through to be able to, to really change and to really find true food freedom and to change my relationship with food and my body image and my weight um, because it's been one of the greatest things of my entire life has been this experience. And when I first discovered keto, I was like, what is this strange magic that no one has ever taught me about? Like, everyone needs to know about this. Why don't people know about this? And kind of like you said before, like, you didn't have the knowledge, you were taught one thing. And I felt very angry. I felt like, oh, my God, this wasn't my fault. All these years, I've been thinking that this is my fault. This is a lack of willpower, or like, 
character strength in me. Like I'm just some kind of messed up person that I can't set a goal and achieve it. It destroyed my self-confidence, but it wasn't me. It was the food. It was the blood sugar roller coaster. <laughs> it was being taught to eat low fat, or I was a vegan and I was a vegetarian. I'm not smashing any of those things, but I wasn't eating healthy, even at those things. I wasn't eating real food. I wasn't, I had no awareness of blood sugar and how it impacted my mind and the, the gut brain connection and everything. And so it's so important to have a knowledge of that because you need to be able to answer the question, why are you doing this? Right? Like, not so that you can debate with people when they want to call you out, like not for, <laughs> for yourself to really know at the end of the day, why am I actually doing this? It's not just to lose weight. It's to take care of myself every single day for the rest of my life. And that might look a little bit different. Maybe it'll be a little bit more liberal, low carb later on. And I'm being a little bit more restrictive right now to reach a certain goal. But you have to be willing to take it on as a lifestyle. You can't just do keto to lose the weight and then go back to eating a standard American diet. You can't water fast your way down to lose 60 pounds and then go right back to normal because what's going to happen? You're going to go right back to where you were before because your behavior is getting you the result that you had before. So yeah, you, whatever you lose it with, you have to be willing to do for life. And so, but that's the thing that I find amazing about keto is I am convinced like really and truly that this is a healthy way for me to live for the rest of my life. I'm not convinced that um, eating 500 calories a day for the rest of my life is a healthy way to live. Absolutely not. But I could, I could do that and lose the weight. But then, you know, if it's not going to last you the rest of your life, is that really a self-care loving thing to do for yourself? No. It's no. just a means to an end. Yeah. And so this is just an example of every single day for the rest of your life. This is a lifelong journey of you taking care of yourself through what you eat. Yeah, exactly. I think that the basic needs needs to be met and that's a healthy diet and that it's going to support your brain because when I started keto, it's like my brain would, I, I didn't realize that I had this brain. <laughs> I was yeah. always in a brain fog. I couldn't concentrate. When I was reading a book, I could go through five pages and then after five pages, I was already thinking about something else and I had no remembrance of what I've read. Now I can read like books hours at a, at a time. So that was a really big difference. And if your brain is not working, the rest of your body is not working. And when your gut is not working, it's not going to connect with your brain, like you were saying. Yeah. And, and then you're going to have all these imbalances. And how are you going to focus on your mindset work when your body is not regulated? So yeah. I think like you just said, you just need the, the basic thing is just going on a ketogenic diet and once you have that under control or at the same time you need to do the mindset work to to just succeed on this ketogenic journey that i also believe is is a diet that is perfect to maintain for a really long time or even you can cycle in and out of ketosis yeah. sometimes um, if you're doing it at a whole food based and not like processed food based um but yeah the ketogenic diet and mindset work they go hand in hand uh, but when yeah. you have the keto already there, it's going to go a lot easier than when you're just uh, doing mindset work and just eating processed carbs. Yeah, it's true. And so like, the, like you said, the ketogenic diet, like you didn't, you had no idea that you had that brain. You had no idea how good you could feel. So why would you be motivated to try something if you don't really believe that it's going to work? Like, I'm sure that there's people tuning in right now that are like, yeah, right. You know, like this is this really for real? Like, and so I always tell people, cause they're like, I can never give up bread. I could never give up potatoes. I could never blah, 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 blah. Well, just try it for two weeks and see how you feel. Like you will experience something that you've never experienced before in your life. And I believe that everybody, regardless of whether you choose to live it as a lifestyle forever, everybody should experience the metabolic state of ketosis. Our bodies are designed 
to experience it. It's literally like we're able to shift metabolic states to run on carbohydrates for fuel or in the absence of carbohydrates to run on fat for fuel so that we can survive on our own stored body fat. We've been designed this way intentionally, but most of us never experience it in our lives. So just give yourself a chance to experience it. And then once you know what it's like, you can decide how, how much and how often you want to use this tool of being in a state of ketosis. There's people that are at a healthy weight that are just biohackers out in Silicon Valley that are like running on ketones because it makes them geniuses and they can create amazing things. Like, whoa, like, don't you want to at least give that a try, at least experience that? And so that's what I would say to anybody who's listening right now, like, okay, sure, whatever, but just give it a try. And if you need some assistance, me or Evie would love to come alongside of you. Yeah, we really are. Um, so if you guys uh, have any questions, this is the time to ask for it. Um, I did see some questions passing by um, and I didn't have time to answer them right away. Um, but I have Angelina, um, who's a friend of mine. Uh, she says that my body is used to the Flemish eating habits. Don't it become difficult to adapt? Um, so yeah, the Flemish eating habits, um, I'm Flemish, I'm from Belgium too. Uh, is in the morning you eat your two slices of bread usually you combine it with some chocolate paste some hazelnut paste like Nutella or you put some um, some jam on it or and you combine it with a coffee or you eat a croissant um, and then for lunch you have again sandwiches if you're eating at work and then at night you were gonna combine it with potatoes and a piece of meat and some vegetables. That's what like what a typical um, Belgian diet would look like. Um, although it's whole, it's whole foods. Um, it's a lot of carbs. And if you want to start on keto, you just need to cut up the bread. Um, the way I did it, I went to low carb first, so I didn't cut it out from the one day to the next, and then just. Um, shock my body into never having bread because if you're a European, you're eating bread no matter like where you live in Europe or even in USA, you eat bread. Um, so I started like with one slice of bread and then I just cut it out completely. So in the morning I would have one slice of bread and then I would combine it with eggs um, instead of the jam. And then for lunch, I would have a salad instead and I wouldn't have the sandwiches anymore. And then at night, I would combine my potatoes with my meats and my vegetables. So I would have like a one third of my, my plate would be carbs. And then the rest of it would, would just be pro, a, a, a source of protein and some vegetables. Um, and then I would just lower it, lower it, lower it until I, I got to a point where my meal would consist of protein and fat. Like um, in the morning, I would just have scrambled eggs with bacon. And then my lunch would be a salad or just a meat combined with a salad. And then at night, I would have a meal that is like meat with, with some fats or, or fatty fish with, with some cruciferous food um, or some other steamed vegetables. And that was the way that worked for me to, to, to go into the ketogenic diet. So it is possible to go from a Belgian typical diet to go and transfer into a ketogenic diet. And you don't have to shock your body into it. You can do it gradually. So I think yeah. that answered the question. Yeah, that's and... great advice. Um, if I could add, you know, I also was just thinking, you know, that there's really a keto substitute for just about anything. So you can look up recipes online to create your own keto bread and you could do a Nutella if it's like an unsweetened hazelnut spread and you can add your own unsweetened um, coconut powder, uh, coconut, cocoa powder to that. So you can basically recreate some of your favorite foods 
so that you don't feel like you're missing out. Um, because that psychological fear of missing out is um, sometimes a big hindrance. And so what I'll call these in the beginning, I call these keto crutches. And so I tell my clients, like, don't be afraid to use a keto crutch, especially in the beginning. Um, when I first started eating keto, I definitely did rely on a lot of the keto substitute recipes, like keto bread, cauliflower rice instead of regular rice, or whatever it might be. Um, and I even bought the store bought products at the time. Um, this was back in 2013, when I first started. So it was before keto really was super popular. But there was um, still Atkins, um, the Atkins diet was something that was kind of popular in terms of the products. So I would go to the grocery store, and I would buy those Atkins M&Ms, so that I could have that as a movie snack back when we would actually go to movie theaters. <laughs> but I would have that so that I wouldn't eat the quote unquote real thing or the sugary version. And so yeah. I tell my clients, don't be afraid. It's okay to use those keto crutches and to use those substitute recipes for things. Are you getting the best nutrition when you're recreating that recipe? Is it better to eat bacon and eggs or is it better to recreate the Nutella bread? Probably from a nutritional standpoint, it is better for you'll get way more protein, um, so on and so forth with what Evie recommended of like eventually getting to the bacon and eggs for breakfast. But you also have to remember that you're not going to adhere to something that you're not enjoying. And so sometimes we do need those pleasures in life. So if you need that keto crutch for, temporarily um, to recreate that recipe in a way that you can enjoy it without spiking your blood sugar, then definitely do that. And you're going to notice over time that your appetite will that for that will fade away. You'll start to see like, I don't really need this. And I'll just make some scrambled eggs instead. Because you're going to go through a lot of trouble to make that keto crutch for yourself, which is great. That's self-care. That's wonderful. But one day you're going to be like, I don't really need that. And it's just going to naturally fade away. So it's okay. Yeah, that's also something I really noticed when I went on keto or I started lowering my carbs is that I was really like the, the, the cravings, they were going away. Like yeah. uh, in the morning, I would never imagine like uh, going um, with a bread and then not having a snack in between my meals. Um, so all of a sudden when I like had a higher protein in the morning, like my eggs uh, and I still had the bread, um, still that combination, it still kept me full until lunch. So those small changes that you do, like, um, instead of having the two slices of bread, just one slice of bread or like the, the keto bread, it's, it's not a, it's not optimal of course, but for some people they do need that. They need like a keto substitute. In the beginning, um, although I don't recommend it, it's also not recommended to put something, someone on an extremely different diet than what they're used to and change everything all at the same time because it's not going to be sustainable and they're going to say, this is too much change um, for me in, in just one time, like um, Cotton Swaps is saying. Um, and, and then you're just going to give up the next day. So right. in the beginning, like you said, it's really good to just, switch the, the products um, from high carb to lower carb. You're going to lower your blood sugar. You're going to lose some weight. And you're already going to have that benefit. And, and then you just have the end goal of eating more whole foods. Um, I would say, like, choose one meal, for example, that is more keto, um, like substitutes or, like, with the keto bread. Um, or you have the PSFM bread from Maria Emmerich. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen, seen it all before. over. It looks delicious. Yeah. I haven't tried it yet. I really want to try yeah. it, but I can't find the egg white powder here in, in Europe. Um, yeah. So that is also something like that you can do. And I see like a lot of people have problems with a lot of cooking involved. When you eat whole foods, you need to cook a lot. You, you're a lot in your kitchen. And that's also something that puts people off. 
Um, so, so then the substitutes are easier if you just have something to grab on the go. Um, yeah. I would recommend doing it in the beginning, but not in the long term. In the long term, I would say like have one of these treats once in a while, not every day on a consistent basis. Like I think that yeah. is in the way that I work. Um, it, it works with people that they can kind of smoothly transfer into that and then eventually go more like a 90% of your diet, whole foods, and then 10% of the diet. You, you eat some other foods that are not keto or that are not 100% clean keto. Yeah. Okay, so basically if somebody were asking you, um, Evie, what should I focus on first, transitioning to whole foods or just getting into ketosis, which would you say is the most important thing to work on first? I would I would look deeper into like what is the goal? Is your goal to really feel good or is your goal just to lose weight? If your goal is just to lose weight, you can start with the with with, with the keto treats and, and then transfer into a whole food. If your goal is to 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 have a better health, to improve your hormones, the keto treats that's not gonna work for you. If you have hormone imbalances that you want to fix. That's not going to work because it's a lot of um, ingredients in those keto trees, they bring hormone imbalance. So it's really, it depends from person to person. It's, it's not that you can say like, um, to, you can do this um, this way and it's going to work for every, everyone. It depends on yeah. where you are in, in your goals and where you are in your biology. Yeah. And it's good to give people options too. That way they kind of have like information like, okay, well, knowing this information, what do you think now is more important? Ask the client, what do you think is more important to you? So rather than them coming to you as just like the stage on high telling them what to do, you're, you're actually educating them and then giving them the power back to make the decision for themselves. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I have another question um, on how would you incorporate exercise and stay motivated? What would you say is your advice on that? Okay. So my advice on exercise is that if you're trying to lose weight, that sometimes exercise um, is not all it's cracked up to be in terms of actually losing weight. So um, exercise is a great tool to change the um, maybe fat to muscle ratio, like your body composition. So exercise is a great tool to change your body composition, but you can be exercising all day. And if you're not eating right, you're not going to lose weight. Um, the amount of calories that you burn exercising in order to lose weight can oftentimes backfire. So diet first, like 80, 80% to 90% diet. Um, sure, exercise is going to help a little bit in terms of weight loss with the energy expenditure. Um, but usually, even like if you look at professional bodybuilders, right? they're either in a cutting phase or a building phase. So a cutting phase means they're trying to lose weight. A building phase means they're trying to get more muscular. So oftentimes they separate these things because it's very difficult to do both at the same time. Because when you are exercising intensely, your appetite increases drastically. It also causes inflammation in the body, which will cause you to retain water and the scale will go up. So I can't even tell you how many times prior to eating the way that I eat now and exercising the way that I eat now, I would start doing P90X. And I would see three pounds go up on the scale the next day. And I would be like, so mad. Like I didn't understand the mechanism of what was happening while well, I was tearing muscle and I was becoming inflamed and my body was retaining water to try to then repair my body, which is a normal thing that we want to happen. But if your main focus is losing weight, 
um, I would say don't start with intense exercise. I would say take some time to form the habit of getting your diet straight, of getting into ketosis. It's going to suppress your appetite. You're going to feel a lot of energy. Um, start with something uh, like walking um, or maybe like yoga, like very light, um, if anything, very light resistance training, like maybe like 15 minutes, three times a week of some um, weights. Um, but you don't want to get to the point where um, you're feeling like so burnt out and you've, you've now just like exhausted yourself because what's going to happen is you're going to number one, increase your hunger. Um, so basically like imagine like, you know, our predecessors were, you know, your adrenal glands are acting up, your stress hormones are elevating and you're thinking like your reptilian brain is like, well, we're running from danger. Like let's, let's run away, you know, get away from this like attacker or whatever. And then the normal biological mechanism is like, okay, now rest and digest. Like we need to replenish. Your hunger is going to go way up to try to replenish what you just did because you don't know the next time that you're going to be attacked. So you better eat while you can. Right. So that's going to be a natural thing that your, your appetite is going to increase. Um, the other thing is kind of like a reward mentality. And so like, you know, people that go for these long runs and then there's like a Starbucks on the way home and they eat the blueberry muffin, right? And so like yeah. the calories that you just consumed eating that Frappuccino or that blueberry muffin is way more than whatever you just ran off. And yeah. in fact, you know, more so. So now you're actually consuming more calories than the net that you just burned. So this is a little bit of my philosophy on exercise is keep your cutting phase and your building phase separate the same way that professional bodybuilders would do. So if you have a weight loss goal, I would say focus on diet first, just do walking yoga, like light resistance training a few times a week, um, until you lose that first 20 or 30 pounds or whatever. And now maybe you're at a healthy weight, but you don't like the way that your body looks necessarily like you're you want to tone up. So now you're going to go through a building phase, and you're going to increase your protein, you're going to increase the resistance training. And notice and be aware the scale is going to go up a little bit. Um, but then once you have built more muscle by allowing the scale maybe to go up five, seven pounds, then you can go back into a cutting phase again. And so it's just kind of like tinkering, 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 tinkering until you get to where you want to be. What do you think, Evie? I think also to stay motivated um, is mainly find something that you love to do. If you don't mm -hmm. like running, don't go running because you're not going to yeah. sustain it. Um, if you, I, I absolutely hate the running. Um, yeah, I do it sometimes. That's why I don't do it regularly. I do like working with resistance bands. Um, or when I do some strength training, I do not like to work with heavy weights. Um, I have like a booty sprout here where you can like do some thrusts. That's something that I like to do. Um, and sometimes I would just do like a Zumba class, like um, find something that works for you because you can go to the gym and lift weights. And if you hate lifting weights, you're going to go to the gym once or twice and then you're just going to give up. But sometimes you need to just stick to it and find something that you like to do and you can increase the intensity or decrease the intensity. You can also always like modify exercises in some way, like with the Zumba class, you can do the steps a little more less intense or you can just go full out and swing your hips like across the room and, yeah. and really get your heart rate up. So in, in, in terms of staying motivated, it's really about doing something that you enjoy doing and not just doing it because your thing that you have to do it again with like, I have to do it and just say like, I choose to do it. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I hate running as well. I love walking. <laughs> I would rather walk for 90 minutes than run for 20 minutes because yeah, <laughs> I'm not exactly. going to get all sweaty and disgusting. I can listen to my podcast. I can multitask while I'm walking for sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, also walking. I love walking. Put me on a bike. I hate it. I hate biking. Yeah. Same with my husband. He, he hates biking. And that's why, why, why we don't do it and why we just do other things that make it sustainable for us to still move because movement is still very important to the body. It is. Absolutely. So I think we covered all the questions. Um, I really want to thank you, Jess, on coming on here for, with me uh, on this first live. So if you guys love just just as much as I did, um, you can find her on her Instagram at it's no at AkitaFit. Yeah. Uh, or how else can they find you if they maybe want to work with you? Yeah, I am at the Keto Fit on Instagram. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Clubhouse, all with the handle um, at the Keto Fit. And so if anybody is interested in working with me, I am taking new one-on-one -on -one clients right now. And I offer a completely free curiosity call to anyone who is interested. We would talk for about 20 or 30 minutes over the phone and I would just get to know you a little bit better. You'll get to know me a little bit better. And we'll talk about your goals. I'd love to hear your story. And um, I'll tell you more about my coaching program. And if you are interested in moving forward, awesome. Would love to work with you. Even if you're not interested or ready right now, I would love to just give you some free keto advice because um, there's just so much information out, out there. It's so easy to get overwhelmed. And I would love to just bless you with some free information um, that's, you know, custom to you. I'll hear what your struggles are, what you're going on, uh, what's going on with you, and try to provide you with some relevant advice. So um, if you're interested in setting up that call, just send me a direct message over on Instagram or Facebook, um, LinkedIn. Uh, you can't reach me on Clubhouse. It's not set up that way. But, you know, send me a direct message on one of the other platforms. Or you can also email me. I'm theketofit at gmail.com. And I also have a freebie that I'd love to tell everybody about if you don't mind me taking another go ahead, second. Go ahead. We're here to support okay, each so other. Yeah, I have a free um, Keto Kickstart PDF that I would love to send to you if you would like a copy of that. It's got 47 recipes um, to get you kickstarted on your keto journey. And it also has a brief explanation of what keto is, what foods to focus on, what foods to try to moderate or avoid. So it's just a free resource for you guys. And if you'd like a copy of that, again, just send me a direct message and I will email that over to you right away. And then um, the last thing is, I don't know if anybody watching is over on Clubhouse, but I do free group coaching on Clubhouse once a week, usually on Wednesdays at 12 p.m. Eastern. And so where else are you going to get free coaching? I don't know, but I'm doing free group coaching. <laughs> it's just a way to have fun and bless the community. It is um, very um, conversational oriented. It's not like this where you guys are just listening to us talk, which, by the way, thanks for listening to us talk. But it's definitely about getting to know each other hearing what, what's going on with you, hearing advice from other people that are on the journey and just refocusing from a self-care mindset. So give me a follow on Clubhouse if you would like to stay tuned for when I'm going to be doing um, the free group coaching on there. Okay, great. Um, so thank you so much for joining me, Jess. I really loved our conversation. Um, and I wish you a very good last uh, evening is here uh, but I would say a uh, very good day afternoon thank you um thank you. and we will definitely talk again another time okay talk soon thanks okay. See bye bye-bye